Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops Podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Culture Ops Podcast. Um, I'm incredibly excited for today. We've got a bit of a different episode for you, a special episode. Um, And I'm joined in a virtual room full of uh, some absolute heroes, some absolute legends. But before I introduce them, um, I'm going to tell you what we're going to be discussing today. I am incredibly conscious that over the last 40-something episodes, we've asked uh, all of our amazing guests to come on this show and talk about their cultures, to be vulnerable, to be open, and to share some of the ups and downs. Crafting a brilliant culture is hard. It takes compassion. It takes time. But what we've not done is talk much about ourselves. We haven't shone the spotlight on us as an organization, on Charlie. We haven't been vulnerable about how we think about our culture, the things we've got right, the things we've got wrong. And so it felt uh, that in the week where we uh, are beginning to announce and talk about culture ops as a term more publicly and more broadly, that we should do that ourselves, that we should turn the mirror back on us as an organization and unpack a little bit about our culture at Charlie and how we see culture ops within our organization. So um, we're going to do something a little bit different today. And um, I'm going to ask Mel, our trusty um, uh, producer, who is normally sitting behind some form of virtual glass, to come out from behind that virtual glass uh, and to join me um, uh, on today's podcast. Hi, Mel. How are you? Hi. Yeah, I'm great, Ben. How are you? I'm great. Uh, does, it, does it feel weird to be making your your Culture Ops podcast debut? Yeah, slightly. It's definitely a good moment for Get Uncomfortable, but looking forward to it. Good, 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 good. Um, but I think uh, one person is not enough. So uh, we're joined by um, two other legends. Uh, today on the podcast, we've also got um, Amy, our Chief of Staff, and um, Oyinda, one of our longtime uh, product managers. Uh, Amy, Oyinda, how are you both? Very well, thank you. Good morning and nice to be here. Yeah, great. Thanks for having us. Good, excited. Um, so before we kick off, um, do you both want to tell us a bit about your, uh, your Charlie journeys? Uh, what you do today, uh, and maybe some of the jobs that you've you've done along the way. Um, Ames, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, So I joined Charlie about four years ago, and I joined as a marketing manager and very quickly realised I was terrible at marketing and moved over into an ops role, uh, which was a much better fit for what I like to do. And then about two years ago, I moved into a chief of staff role, uh, which I still do today. And that's sort of a split role, 
part of it is leading all the operational side of Charlie internally. And then the other side is a more traditional chief of staff role. Um, but I suppose culture ops forms a big part of my role. So yeah, that's what I do on a day to day. Nice. Uh, Oyinda, you've almost been with us since day one. Um, but tell us what you've what you've done in that time. Yeah, not not quite since day one, but um, definitely since the early days. So similar to Amy, I've kind of been at Charlie for, I think, over four and a half years now. Um, and I've enjoyed kind of uh, experiencing, experiencing some different roles. So I started as the first customer experience person in the company. So handling customer support. Um, but as I was, I guess, the first person in that role, the, the remit was, was quite broad. So that was really great. Um, and after that, I moved into more of a um, customer success role. Um, so kind of looking at the, the earlier side of trying to get customers to um, use Charlie as, as their product. Um, and then after that, I moved into a product manager role where I've been for, I think, the, the last three to four years now. Nice. So yeah, uh, a fun journey. Yeah. Um, and yeah, grateful to get to work with you, you lovely humans. And we're going to we're going to do a bit of a warm up because I'm super conscious that, you know, this is first time first time on the pod uh, for all of you. And so our warm up question is, if you were going to describe Charlie's culture as a song, what song would it be? And why? And I need to caveat that I have fully stolen this interview question from um, Tom Frame, who's the uh, chief people officer uh, from Bob. So shout out to Tom for this absolute club banger of a question. Um, Melanie, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) The ones that came to my head first are the ones that they actually used in their episode of There's a Thing at Work, the classics of um, Stronger by Britney Spears or We're All in This Together from High School Musical. So I really struggled to think of something that was like really good, but new. And I think I've settled on Don't Stop Believing by Journey, as cheesy as that is. Um, I think there are definitely moments in everyone's working lives where you start to kind of like lose faith or lose momentum. Um, But if you hold on to the feeling, you know, the Charlie team, I think is really good at reinvigorating that spark and giving you the space and the push to get to somewhere where you're enjoying work again. Absolutely. I love that. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Nice. And Ames, what have you got for me? Uh, Such a loose one. It was very hard not to find any songs on my Spotify this morning that weren't to do with love and relationships, which feels a bit weird for describing a work culture. Um, But I picked What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. I have no idea what the lyrics say, um, but for me, the title very much encapsulates uh, how I think we respond as a business and react culturally to things um, as they come, the good, the bad and the ugly. And we're always in tune with what's going on and and change and iterate our culture accordingly. So, uh, as I said, so loose, but um, yeah, that's what I chose. You can't complain with a bit of Marvin Gaye. Um, Perfect. Finally, Oinda. Yeah, this is a terrible question for me. I, I swear I'm a music lover but I can never remember or learn the names of songs. So I have a slightly rogue choice. I've gone for Umbrella by Rihanna. 
And um, I have no idea why. I'm going to justify it though. I think it's like, to me, part of a culture is, it's not just like the highs, it's also the lows. And that's really when like a culture gets tested. And I feel like at Charlie, there is just like, the lows are never going to be that low. There is, I guess, that umbrella of support or kind of like level of of trust and care, um, which I think, yeah, it help helps weather any storms. So, um, yeah, I think that it's a testament to the, the baseline of the culture of like care and support. That's really sweet. What about you, Ben? Uh, I actually didn't prepare for this, but <sighs> then just about 30 seconds ago, I was like, I bet Mel asks me this <laughs> You're welcome. So I bet I get an answer in my head. Um, I would have to say uh, I'm a big, I'm a big like country music fan. Um, uh, as you and I were talking about this week. Um, and um, there is uh, a song called The Drive. And um, it like, describes this like dirt road, never ending dirt road, right? In this like small country town in the, in the outback in the middle of nowhere. And the, the song is just about kind of enjoying and appreciating the things uh, like as you, as you drive down this dirt road. Um, and and I think that for me, that's like a really good representation about how I see like building a business and building um, uh, an organization, which is that you can get really carried away with thinking about where you're getting to and what the destination is. But actually, I think all of the value and all of the exciting stuff and, and, and all of the things that you should be grateful of are kind of the small things and they happen along the journey. And so you got to keep your eyes up and your windows down and, um, and, and take it all in. How's that? I love that. I also really like the idea of, of kind of like the journey of culture being like a road trip and how it changes along the way and the scenery changes and there's so many things to explore and enjoy and improve on. Really nice. Um, I am curious if there was a moment when the impact of effective culture became really clear to you, Ben, like we all know that you've, You've started and run multiple companies, and I imagine it was definitely quite a journey. We're just really we're trying to find as many ways to pack the word journey into in, into this um, <laughs> into this song after you picked um, <laughs> after you picked Don't stop believing by by journey. Um, uh, I think if 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 anyone has ever listened to me talk about I guess uh, my, my my story, I always say that like one of my biggest disadvantages is that I've never worked for anyone else um, in the sense that like I've always been a founder, I've always been my own boss, which um, I'm not saying because I want, um, you know, people to uh, applaud me. Um, but in the sense that I think that I really lose a lot from not having the context of how other organizations run and operate. And so uh, when Rob and I started our, our, our first business, Born Social, I, um, didn't really have a have the concept of culture necessarily. It wasn't something that I necessarily was thinking about or was being deliberate about. Um, and then I read a book 
um, called um, Delivering Happiness. It's by uh, the founder of um, Zappos, a guy called Tony, who uh, unfortunately passed away, um, uh, I think it was either early this year or late last year. And Zappos were one of the one of these early organizations that that took culture really seriously. And, and they're a, um, an e-commerce business, one of the really early e-commerce businesses. And so they had a huge support center. And they realized that they could turn this job that um, for many would have been seen as quite mundane and boring and monotonous, right? Answering phones and responding to sales tickets. And they realized that they could turn it into something really exciting and enjoyable and like a really, really pleasant and engaging experience for the team doing it by thinking about the overall experience, that overall culture of the organization. And I still have like a bunch of copies behind me on my bookshelf because I think it was a really, really powerful book for me at the time and made me realize Ah, oh, okay. There is there's a real human advantage to building a great culture, which is that people are happier, they um enjoy their work day, um, you know, they they go home, they feel fulfilled, all of that good stuff, which we know and love, right? Like that's obvious. But Zappos were a really successful business. They were also really, really good at what they what they did. They were a market leader. And I think that was the first time where I realized, oh, hold on a second. There is actually a real financial and business um, advantage to building a really strong and effective culture. So um, if anyone is interested in reading that book, it's called Delivering Happiness. I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, for anyone thinking about and wondering about how culture can be a successful business tool, that is definitely um, definitely where I would start. Um, yeah, that moment still, um, yeah, it's still, it still really resides with me. It was, um, uh, it was, it was, it was really important. Oinda, um, as someone who has been here since day one, uh, almost right. Um, do you think that as a, as a, as an organization, our focus on culture has always been deliberate? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I I would say no, but I think that's because kind of similar to what you said, I don't think you would have called it culture. Um, so one thing I remember is kind of quite soon after I started, either like a few weeks or, or a month in, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but I said to you, like, well done well done for what you have built. And I wasn't talking about like the company necessarily or the, the um, is it like the, the business or the financial side or even the product. It was, I guess, about the culture. And it was because I was just amazed that like, I don't know, work just felt amazing. <laughs> like I would come home like from work. Um, and then my heart, like I just had a weird honeymoon phase for so long because yeah, it, it was just, a, it was, and it still is, but it's different now, but still like an amazing place to work. Um, I'd come home with so much energy and my mom was like, you found your tribe. And I was like, it's just an amazing place to work. And so I don't think necessarily 
um, we back in those days you were talking about like culture um, but I think it was really clear that Charlie really cared about the people in the company and making sure that all of these ambitious people were not only doing great work but they were enjoying their time at work so yeah it's always, it's always been there I just don't think it's you know we called it culture the the whole time um I think if people were talking about culture it was much more like about the general startup culture and not necessarily the culture in the business um but yeah it's it's always been there um yeah do you um you know your your mum said tribe and I, and I I think there's there are things that kind of connect tribes if you were going to put a word on what, I guess in those early days what connected people what was the what was the common link between those people that you're working with is there a is there a word that immediately comes comes to mind not a word I think everyone just really wanted to build something great they were like very excited about the company um, and the product and what we could do with it and I think that's kind of what connected us because one thing I've actually always liked about Charlie is it's not a company of you know the exact same people or personalities um but I think the ambition was what made it really feel like a tribe for me anyway yeah it's funny you say that I think one of the points that I one of the bits of feedback I've really given myself over the years is like that maybe we haven't thought and then we haven't thought enough about cultural ad and and maybe at points we've talked we've we've thought too much about cultural fit so it makes me feel a little bit better that you know you think we were still even back then trying to build uh, a team of at least different personalities um love that answer uh, Ames, Mel, and um, both of your roles are like, I guess, very in- internally focused. And do you think from where you're sitting, there's been a moment uh, within the business where you've realized the power of effective culture? Um, not necessarily the sort of warm and fuzzy, oh, this feels, this feels great, but actually the power of what great culture can do in a sort of business situation. And uh, Ames, let's start with you. Yeah, such a such a hard question. Um, I think the one that springs to mind the most is thinking back to the beginning of the pandemic, which is a horrible uh, thing to think about. Um, but we we use OKRs at Charlie um, and cross functional teams, so we're used to cycles and changing teams, but. We decided very early on that in order to stabilise the business, we wanted to set a short-term revenue goal uh, and that everyone in the business was going to stop what they were working on uh, and we were all going to focus on how to hit this revenue number. And it was so weird. It was so chaotic. Um, I remember we announced it to the business. I think it was late one week and we said from Monday... And this is what's happening. And everyone was so bought into it and it was so exciting, but terrifying at the same time. And 
everyone clustered around different uh, areas of revenue generation within the business, developers, anyone, um, people who were so far away from from that side of the business or, um, yeah. And we spent about six weeks being incredibly scrappy. It felt like at the beginning of Charlie again. And people were working with people they'd never worked with before and stuff they'd never done before. And I think it was so imperfect and chaotic, but it was so demonstrative of the culture that we'd built and how, if you invest in it, how effective it can be in moments where it's so stressful and horrible. Um, And it wasn't like the business was going to die if we didn't do it, but it was, we wanted to uh, make sure we were doing everything in our power to stabilise it as much as possible. And I think, uh, A, it was amazing. We hit the revenue target, but most importantly, I think it just demonstrated the strength of the relationships we'd built in the business and how quickly people could adapt to to what was going on. So I think for me, that really stands out as like a key moment where effective culture played out in a moment of high stress and ambiguity as we all experienced then. Mm. Yeah, it's great that you, I guess, bring that up, that example up, Ames. And I think often when we think about culture, we think about it in a sort of warm and fuzzy context and the, the building relationships and and strong bonds with with other people and um but actually it's true cultures are tested in some of the darkest and most difficult times and um you know those are the moments where you realize if you have an effective culture uh is is when you need to turn around and say, look, this is going to be uncomfortable, but we need to go and do something and we need to make it happen and we need to do it for, for everyone's benefit. So, yeah, I love that you use that, that example. Um, Mel, what about you? So when I was thinking about this, I was, I was reminded of a meme I saw on Instagram the other day, which, which was someone saying that if you see a job ad that says they have a fast-paced culture, that's code, code for um, a toxic culture that's going to destroy your life. Um, and I just think that's really interesting because it's, I feel like it's very typical in startups to, um, advertise themselves as being a really fast paced environment, which is supposed to mean that, you know, you have room to grow and to try everything within the business. But the reality of it is, is just burnout and exhaustion and overworking. And I feel like I've definitely experienced that at companies before working at Charlie and then having burnt out and, quit my previous job in pretty pretty much just like the worst place I could be mentally with regards to how I viewed my career I came into Charlie and was like really kind of rehabilitated in a sense like just in terms of my um vigor and enjoyment of work I feel like Charlie has Charlie's culture has this um really great aspect to it where we I think really respect slowing down. Um, I think there's so much value placed on resting when you need rest to avoid burnout and to take care of yourself ahead of, I don't know, maybe hitting, hitting really lofty targets, which is not to say that everyone on the team isn't super ambitious, but we do, I think, all understand that everyone 
needs rest to be able to bring their best selves to work and to be able to execute in the way that they want to execute and to be as creative as they want to be. Um, and I think our mental health policy is a really great testament to that, seeing people and having used it multiple times myself, especially over the past year, I think it's been a real blessing. Um, and it's definitely gotten all of us as individuals, I think, through some really tough times, which a lot of my friends who work at other companies are just very envious of because I think it's, it, sadly, it's really rare to find um, a work work culture where you as an individual, as like a fully rounded person with a life that has emotional um, impact beyond your working hours. Um, it's just, yeah, I feel like, I feel like having such an open culture that's so respectful and so willing to give us the room to breathe and to take care of our mental health has just been such a blessing and really gotten us through, yeah, a lot of ups and downs in the past year, especially. Mm. And the last year obviously has been, has been super tough. And so, yeah, it's been even more important than ever. And I feel like Ames, we actually introduced that policy pre-COVID, I want to say. Yeah, I think we did it uh, about two years ago. We introduced a more broad mental health policy and then personal days, um, which are our way of uh, indicating a, a mental health sick day. Um, but yeah, I think I'm conscious that we're all singing Charlie's praises of the culture and whilst I think now our focus on mental health and since all those changes about two years ago um, have been so powerful and I'm so grateful and proud that we introduced them when we did. So it wasn't a kind of mid-pandemic rollout. Uh, we had those foundations in place to support people with their mental health. But I definitely think, uh, well, from when I joined Charlie uh, initially, I think we didn't take such a deliberate approach to mental health. And I think it's so important to know that or remember that we haven't always had all those things in place and uh, we were so far from perfect on how we looked after people and thought about it. Uh, and I think as Oyunda said, like there was a kind of non-deliberate culture, but we weren't prioritising mental health in the way that we have done over the past two years. So I think um, it's good to reflect and remember that these things weren't in place Always from the get-go, I guess. What do you think the weakest part of our culture is, Ames? Oh, that's so hard. That is a very on-the-spot question. And also, just for the listener, I didn't tell Amy to prep this question, so I am fully putting her on the spot. Um, The weakest part of our culture, I think, as we're doing now, we're very much singing everyone in the business's praises and our culture's praises. But I think we definitely tip sometimes into, do we always say the really, really hard things? I think we are so caring towards each other. And I think it is so special, uh, those relationships and the culture we've built. But I think sometimes we're not always the quickest in some moments to say the difficult thing. And I think we're finding a better balance, but I think maybe to start with it, Charlie, we said it a lot. We said all the hard things much more freely. And then I think 
I think maybe we we sometimes toe the line of like uh toe the line of of that but I I wouldn't necessarily call it a weakness I think it's just uh an area sometimes for improvement for people to be really candid uh or oh yeah really really candid with with when something's not up to scratch yeah I think that's fair I don't, you you often give me feedback on the fact that I, I need to be better at asking the hard questions so yeah it's definitely something I'm I'm trying to mirror and we're trying to improve upon and, but I think you know yeah being open about the things that you're you're bad at is as important about talking about the things that you're good at I want to sort of connect this maybe and how we're thinking it about culture going forward to a more general sense of the macro um, global changes to how businesses are thinking about culture. Oyinda, you talk to small businesses every single day. You've done it pretty pretty much constantly for the last four years as someone doing customer success and now someone that's a product manager. How do you think perspectives and perceptions towards culture have changed for small businesses? Yeah, great question. Um, I think, so Charlie has like lots of different um, small businesses as customers, but we do definitely have a concentration within sort of technology companies, startups and, and marketing agencies. So I'll probably speak to those types of small businesses in particular. Um, and I guess one change I've seen is, um, I guess, more of a focus on culture, but also I think a deeper focus on culture. I feel like years ago there was kind of the like Silicon Valley um, again within tech companies and and sort of maybe more marketing types of companies um, ideal, and every company um, was aiming to have that same culture. Right, we work hard, we play hard, um, we need the the signs that we're we're a cool place to work. So we talk about beer and ping pong tables in our um, job adverts. And um, I guess that that's kind of made fun of these days. And there's like a bit of a, a parody to mention those things. Um, but I feel that was the ideal. And that's what people, that felt like that was kind of how deep um, companies seemed to talk about culture. Um, there were, I mean, that may discredit, um, I guess, some of the hard work that uh, some people were doing in companies to ensure um, it was a good place to work. And, um, you know, people in the companies, they were well rested or looked after. I think there was less talk of mental health. It was more about holiday and burnout. Um, I think conversations around mental health have increased um, in the past few years, which has been really important, kind of what uh, Mel alluded to. Um, I, I, yeah, I feel like the cultural conversations have become a lot deeper and have helped maybe more important things. Um, you know, diversity inclusion has kind of come up and I think businesses are really taking a standpoint in actually doing something about it. Um, like personally, I, I, I've never told you this, Amy, but I am so impressed by what we've done in Charlie. Um, yeah, I know you said we, we're, we're too nice, but I've, I've never told you this. Um, it, it, it's been amazing. Uh, I said earlier, Charlie has had different personalities, but if you looked at diversity on the, on the outside, uh, that definitely wasn't the case. And now it's, it's just amazing being in the company, being like, as someone who was the only, um, I guess, non-white person in the company, it's amazing that 
that is definitely not the case anymore. And I didn't have to do anything about it. I didn't have to be the person um, pushing that forward. So going slightly off track, but um, yeah, I think that works um, been great. And I think other companies, I'm not sure how deep they're going with it, but I think it is um, something that's coming up more. So yeah, culture is definitely more of a conversation and um, it's about the important things, not sort of the shiny, uh, shiny, we're like Silicon Valley um, type of conversations and depth. So Ben, how have your personal experiences in combination with kind of the changing world of work impacted how you think about the, or evaluate the importance of culture? Yeah. And um, one of the things that I've, I guess, always felt, um, and I don't really know where it, where it comes from, is that work should have a really positive impact on your life. I used to, um, I used to pre-COVID always take new starters for a walk um, to sort of catch up with them, get to know them better. And one of the things that I always say at the end, and I still say it, say it now, even though we sort of do it remotely, is um, what we aren't doing is heart surgery. We aren't saving lives. What we do is really important but it should never get that stressful and you should, you should smile and, and you should enjoy it. You're going to have good days and you're going to have, you know, harder days, but on the whole, it should be an enjoyable experience. I really believe that work can be that. And I think one of the things that has shifted so much in my lifetime is the impact that technology has played as part of that, which is to say, I grew up uh, in a house with two parents who were both medical professionals. So when my mum and dad would come home at the end of the day, dad's a doctor, mum's a physio. When they left the hospital, they were leaving their work. That didn't mean they weren't not thinking about it. And it didn't mean that, you know, dad wouldn't get called into the hospital at, at you know, midnight to go and look after a patient, but they were able to create separation. There was no this like have a bit of dinner and then open the laptop up and and do do some emails. Um, there was real clear separation between where work happened and where it didn't happen. And I, I really believe in people living lives that are like full of so many other things. Amy has this amazing diagram. Well, actually, it's not amazing. It's a shit diagram. Sorry, Ames. I love you, but um. Uh, yeah, it's it 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 is it, it's it's a clip art it's a clip art classic, um, which shows on one side a um, a scale with work and life, these two big aspects, and this idea of trying to have them balance, and then on the other side a big circle with lots of different circles within it, and those those smaller circles are all different sizes. And that representation is all of the small different aspects that are part of your bigger life. And work is one of those circles. And those circles might change and they might get bigger and smaller and they might contract, but that is a better representation of how I believe our lives, our lives can be. That 
we work is a is a part of it and it helps the other parts of our lives it improves the other parts of our lives technology has obviously reduced those barriers it's removed those barriers it's meant that we can basically do our jobs from our phones we can carry them everywhere with us we're never really leaving the office and the last 12 months has made that even harder we're working from our bedrooms we're working from our kitchen tables i'm not against the power of technology i'm not against some of the amazing things that hybrid working and remote working can allow but i i think i am against work having a detrimental effects on your life and the moment it has that is when work isn't a positive experience it's a negative experience if work is going to be more all consuming because of where we work and because of technology we want it to have a really positive effect not a negative effect and so that's why i think culture is so important that's why i think prioritizing culture is so important and finding a model to allow you to prioritize and work on your culture constantly is so important because culture is the experience that your team are having on a daily basis that is what is defining that experience and so getting that right is affecting how their work impacts their life on a very very real level um and so i think that's the biggest change and that's why we have to take culture more seriously yeah that's really nice ben um i feel like we've spoken a lot about what matters to us in terms of culture and we've branded that as culture ops um could you define that for us ben i'm not sure we've actually ever really gone into that very specifically yeah it's a really good point and and people have probably heard me talk about you know people and policies and process and and I've, and I've used the term culture ops a bunch of times so i was literally just saying that because work is having a greater impact on our lives prioritizing culture therefore is so much more important because that is what is defining people's experience of work culture ops is how you do that culture ops is operationalizing the building and crafting of culture within your organization it is the role that does it it is the function that does it it is the discipline of crafting culture it is how you do it and we see that very very simply crafting a great culture is about three things it's about the people you bring into the room uh the people you promote the people you put in leadership positions the people you fire it's your people right that's the that's the biggest lever that you have to craft your culture the second biggest lever are your processes the operational aspects of how you run your business whether you use okrs whether you have a feedback process how you do reviews how you share information within the organization it is literally how you run your business and i don't think we think about that enough when we talk about culture but processes have a huge impact and then your third lever are your policies what are the agreed do's and don'ts of an organization what can you do what shouldn't you do and those can be written they can be formal policies but i think they can also be the unwritten they can be the things that are obvious but that we don't talk about you know we all set behaviors do's and don'ts 
by how we show up to work. So those are the three ways that you craft culture. People, policies, and processes. So if you ask someone to do culture ops, that's what you're asking them to do. What are the outcomes? I think an effective culture that's well-prioritized and, and is well-crafted gives you three things. It helps you attract the best people. It keeps those best people in the room. It retains them. And ultimately, it improves your business performance. So, yeah, so that's my, that's my definition of culture ops. Amy, how has our thinking on culture ops affected how you think about prioritizing culture internally? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I guess the first very obvious one is we, as of a month ago, have hired someone into a role that is specifically called, uh, uh, she's called a culture ops associate, um, and she's called Chantelle. And I think the fact that we've really put a stake in the ground and said, this is not just an area that someone is responsible for alongside lots of other things we're saying this is a role in of itself and having someone solely responsible for thinking about it and crafting it and iterating on it um, is so powerful. So I think having labelled what we believe to be the way forward, which is culture ops, um, hiring someone into that role has been our first way that we've really prioritised it internally. and then. Secondly, I'd say, I think it's just given us such a way to talk about culture really, really tangibly. So anytime, as you've said, it's defined as crafting your culture through people, policies and process. And that means that anytime you make a small process change or anytime you roll out a policy, everyone in the business it's like, that is culture, that is culture operations. Whereas before, maybe we weren't as explicit that those things were your culture, whereas now everyone is aligned that that is what we're doing and that is what we're working on. So culture is no longer this siloed area of the business that no one quite knows how to define. It is so clearly defined and, and having that buy-in from everyone and from everyone being on the same page as to what culture is and how you craft it through culture ops is so, yeah, it's been really empowering. So I think the buy-in across the business and how aligned everyone is has really shifted since we've we've defined culture ops and and talked about it so much. Yeah, I love that. And and massive shout out to Chantal, who is um yeah, new hire, but but making absolute waves early on. So to wrap things up then. I think it would be nice to give some actionable advice on what a business could do if they want to integrate culture ops thinking into how they're prioritizing their culture internally. Um, maybe we'll start with you, Ben. Yeah, so I, I guess I want to start from a, from a leadership standpoint, which is that I think you need some kind of framework to understand how you're trying to affect your culture. That's what culture ops as a framework is is there is there for um and then i think it needs to be an agenda item i think it needs to be something that you're talking about as a leadership team uh on a weekly and a monthly basis it needs to be something that you spend time thinking about uh and prioritizing for two reasons i think one um 
it's going to help you make better decisions and it's going to give you better outcomes uh, in terms of what the right culture is for your organization. Two, I think it shows to your team uh, and everyone that you work with that you're taking it seriously. People are coming out of COVID really questioning where they work and the role that work is playing in their lives. And so I think it's important that businesses show that they are committing to crafting culture uh, for their teams. That's really nice. What about you, Leander? Any thoughts? So I guess to slightly differ from um, Ben's answer, it's so important to have the leadership team aligned um, and thinking about this all the time. I guess a slightly different angle that I would bring is sort of the idea that like culture within a company is both like top down and bottom up. And so um, I guess I would advise businesses who are trying to integrate culture ops into, you know, their business and how they prioritize their culture is think about how do we get the rest of the company involved um, and get their input um, so that I guess the culture that is intended and sort of comes top down is actually implemented and lived and experienced through the rest of the company. Yeah, super nice. And to round off, Amy? Yeah, so I think uh, I think when we first started thinking about culture ops at Charlie, uh, we had our way that we were approaching it and how we were thinking about it. But what that looks like for every business is and and should be different. Not everyone's culture will or should be the same. And I think one of the most useful exercises we went through was what are we actually trying to achieve through the people, policy and processes that we're changing or thinking about and we defined three guiding principles through which we were going to look at all of those things through and for us they were uh, structured flexibility as a concept or a principle to guide us belonging and ownership and we use those three principles which are very different from our general company values but they're more our culture ops principles uh and they've just been such a useful useful tool to assess if something is working in the way that we want it to, or is it embodying those principles in the right way? And I think particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, we use them to really critically assess anything that fell within the realm of culture ops. And just having those that everyone's aligned behind and understands has been really helpful. Um, so I'd recommend that as a as an exercise to define your three or whatever principles um, to guide your culture ops thinking. Such smart thinking. Um, And I just want to say thank you to all of you. Thank you um, to the people listening for indulging us. I hope, um, uh, I hope you've been, it's been useful. It's been interesting. And we've been able to like dig a little bit deeper into what culture ops means for Charlie. I obviously have to say a big thank you to uh, Amy and Oyinda for joining us today um, uh, on the Culture Ops podcast and, and helping us to unpack a bit of what culture is at Charlie and how we approach Culture Ops. Thanks so much, guys. And as ever, um, it's been amazing to have uh, Mel not behind the virtual glass today, but with us in studio um, helping uh, to make this episode a reality. 
Thank you, Melanie. And thank you for all the great work that you do on the show. To all of you listening along, we really, really appreciate you. Uh, This is episode nine of season two. So we've got one more episode next week and then we are done for season two. Um, So if you've enjoyed this season, we would love it if you could head to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and leave us a review and maybe even five stars. Um, Mel and I would really, really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you again next week and beyond in season three. I, as ever, have been Ben Branson Gately, your host, and this has been the Culture Ops Podcast. Mm-hmm.